Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. This is your boy Bilal Zaidi and we've got our friends Trung Fan. What's happening, Trung? Yo, what's happening? I know you guys are, are in NY. How was That's the meetup? How was the meetup? And we also got Jack Butcher. If people don't know who he is already, fan of Visualized Value. Jack, show us your background, mate. You're balling out on us. What what is this? Jesus Christ, this is, uh, look at that. This is family, family connections. Celia's family friends let us uh, squat in their place for a couple nights. Very, very Up pleasant. Up in NY? Yeah. If, okay, yeah. if you weren't, if you're, okay, you're visiting NY and you're on your visualized value budget, still a healthy budget, where are you going to stay? <laughs> what, no, if I didn't have a place to, yeah. if we didn't have friends to stay, probably, uh, probably some hotel downtown or something. Uh but it's hard to get a hotel room. It's hard to get no. <laughs> oh, it's not in a uh, hurry, mate. Not in a hurry. Pent up, no pent up demand, eh? If uh, if you if, if if the listeners or the watchers aren't in our not investment advice Telegram group, I, I advise you go in there because Jack's been. We post some pretty funny photos, and these guys hit the ground and uh, put some pretty funny photos in there. But uh, so you guys met up for dinner last night. Is this correct? Yeah, Trung, we missed we you, mate. It was uh, all right. So what did we eat? What was on the menu here? So. Me, Jack, we went to a steak place and first of all, we were going to get like all this seafood to start and we were going to get our own steaks. And then the waiter came over and says, oh, there's one special. And obviously <laughs> we're not going to not do the special. It was this huge, was it tomahawk steak, 35 yeah, yeah, pounds. Yeah. <coughs> sorry, after, obviously. <laughs> ounces, sorry. What did I say? Ounces, bro. 35 pounds, man. That's like, that's like my kid. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, it was the first time we met, man. So in person. So uh, obviously, oh, that's amazing, bro. I gotta, I gotta say, uh, when, uh, whenever the uh, waiter comes over with the special, there's two things that happens in restaurants that they don't take me off. They're hilarious. The number one is when the waiter comes with a special. I never buy. I'm like, bro, I don't want your special, man. Like, I know what I want on this menu. I get your special out of my you face. Get your dad wrote yeah. your dad jokes ready. Yeah, yeah. Get, get your special. And the other one is, uh, you know, after like a minute after you receive your dish, they're like, hey, how was the first few bites? They're always the same, man. The first few bites are delicious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bro. You, do they ever come by? They're just like, hey, uh, so how's the first few bites? It's delicious, man. It's delicious. It's delicious. Let me eat, bro. But uh, that's always funny when they hit you with the specials in the first few bites. It, so we, it was the first time we met yesterday. It was, I have to admit, we haven't actually talked about it, obviously, since yesterday. But it's, I've never done this before, obviously. We've basically become friends over the last year with Trung as well. We've never met Trung in person. And it's a weird, it's a bit of a weird thing at first. You know what I mean? Because you're there and you're like, oh, we kind of know each other, but we never met before. So anyway, it was it was fun in the end. We brought the the, the ladies out as well mm -hmm. uh, for steak night. Neither of them had steaks, but <laughs> Wait, <laughs> we had octopus as well, didn't we, uh, Bilal? Yeah, it Very was nice a piece of octopus. Jumbo octopus looked like it was GMO. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you have a, <laughs> yeah. it? Had the tentacle, the whole tentacle? Oh yeah, yeah, whole yeah. leg. Yeah, you're not deal. doing like the little slices where it's just the body, right? You got to go all in. Nah, yeah. No, no, the full full body, man. Um, anyway, so yeah, good to have you here, Jack and Trung. We gotta do the link up, the three-way link up at some point when when yeah. it all makes sense. We we'll do a live well, we NIA do that in, in, in Whistler, where I just was, man. That was a that was a baller. That'll be sick. Have you, I mean, great. you guys, do you guys ski at all? Yeah, I, I don't really, but I'll be up for it at some point. I was like, yeah, let me been... let me show you something about. I mean, Whistley. So Whistley is the most visited ski resort in North America. Let me share the screen here. Uh, it was a 20, so also had the 2010 Olympics, um, was in Whistler, Vancouver, 
Oh, damn, I'm showing way too much action here. All right, here, let me show some whiskey. I'll tell you what's genius about these guys. Can you guys see the Whistler here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Well, here's the thing. That, that's just, you want it during, uh, during winter. It's insane, man. It's a winter wonderland. Check that out. Picturesque, man. Fairy tale stuff. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And then you got, uh, and then, yeah, the gond dude, the gondolas are insane. But, uh, dude, so, I mean, it's a good segue at this point, I guess. Uh, I know we want to talk about the business of, uh, of kind of, of Vail Resorts. Um, Vail Resorts uh, runs the mountain for Whistler and the resorts. Actually, Jack, you mentioned that you, your uh, advertising firm used to do ads with them, yeah? Yeah, that was the account everyone wanted to be on, mate, because you'd be flying to uh, one client meeting and then you'd be, yeah, I'll go on a Thursday afternoon, I'll be back uh, Tuesday. Oh, and, dude, that uh, is highly it. sought after. So it's because people wanted to, because you knew if you met them, you're hitting the mountains, right? The perks, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Somebody actually brought up, uh, so the information I want to talk about Vail Resorts here is uh, it's all comes from Burn Hobart. I've mentioned it before, but the diff.substack is my favorite newsletter. It's one of the smartest guys for business and tech, just super well read in general. Uh, and don't take my word for it, Patrick Coulson, frequently the CEO of Stripe, like says, I love this article from Burn Hobart. So amazing uh, Substack newsletter. It's like $200 a year, totally worth it. But he kind of breaks down Vail. And as you, Jack, the thing you mentioned is, is uh, pretty genius because... So Vail is a super acquisitive company. I love saying that. Like they, they grew from two resorts in 1996 to 37 uh, today. And, they, and Burn posits that one of the reasons that this happens is because they have an incredibly good M&A team. And the M&A team is really good. It's because people that want to be working in resorts, right? Like you have like the top private equity analysts. Think about it. I mean, granted, you could be living like Jack right now in whatever uh, uh, apartment in New York or you could be a, a veil uh, a corporate uh, analyst and you get to just fly around to all the different resorts. But uh, I'll, I'll break down to you guys why this business is so interesting. So if you think about a ski mountain, right? If, you, if, you, if the original business was like I showed that winter wonderland, you're only gonna be running four months of the year. So veil resorts in, in 1996 only owned two resorts, right? And then they've added 35 over the past few decades. So their whole mission has been like, okay, we're gonna buy resorts, but over those last two decades, two things have been happening. Climate change, which shortens the ski season. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, if you want to buy a new mountain and make it a ski resort, what are the odds that the local government is going to let you do that, right? It's all about environmental checks, and they're not super happy about that. So the only way they can really expand the business is to make it a year-round business. And their existing business, they need to increase the throughput of it, right? So they do three really interesting things. So... Uh, for example, Whistler, I showed you guys the mountain uh, over winter, but what I'll show you guys here is during That's summer sick. to keep the business year round, these guys went all in on mountain biking. So they basically turned it, check this out. They turned the ski lifts into mountain bike lifts. How crazy is that? So people sit in the back here and you put your bike in the front. And yeah, that, that makes it year round. And uh, during the winter or even summer, the other thing you need to do is uh, to increase the business is you need to sell people more stuff, right? So restaurants, attractions, stuff, all that good stuff that you'll get at any tourist destination. But the other thing they do, which is pretty hilarious, is if you go to the recent, most recent 10K, the annual report, they, they mentioned the word 
uh, ski lift improvement 11 times <laughs> because all they're doing is improving their ski lifts so people get on and onto the mountain faster, right? So they're ripping you through. They're just improving the throughput. So Vail is a really, really interesting company. And the last thing I'll add about them as just as a business is uh, because they own these 37 resorts now, they bundle them all together in the past. You pay $1,000 a year and it's that it's that sweet, sweet subscription uh, revenue, right? You pay them 1,000 a year. That's you might not on that. Exactly, right? <laughs> and you, man, you might not even go. It's like a gym pass, right? You might not even show up. It's like when people buy gym passes, the gyms don't even want you to show up. That's the reality, right? It's because it's going to ruin the experience for everybody else. So a certain percentage of people will never show up or never use the full value of $1,000. But you know, man, you... They, they sell this pass now and it gives them the reason to keep adding people to the pass, like adding new mountains or adding new features because they can amortize the cost over everyone. So yeah, I, I wanted to talk about them because I was just there and uh, their stock is up 10 times over the past decades, $12 billion company. So yeah, that's, that's it on my side, man. That's a good, that's a good um, kind of question around like the best kind of subscription businesses that you don't even think about them being yeah. subscription the mm. one exactly. that i'm thinking about i don't know any of the numbers but have you guys heard of Surfair? i think it is it's kind Never of like it. um it's if i'm getting the name right they're basically like private flying or what's it called private aircrafts or whatever private planes sorry <laughs> private planes but you're kind of you basically buy like a subscription to how many you're going to get to use Oh, so it's like uh, NetJets, uh, Brookshire. Exactly, it was something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I just and I, I've spoken to a couple people who who've used it, and it's actually it, it's nowhere near the price you'd expect it to be to fly private, basically. Um, and especially in like the West Coast, where people are going from the Bay Area, San Francisco to LA for like all the time. Like I actually know a guy who used to basically commute every day just because his family were in LA and he would go there for work and then come back every day, which is kind of mental. Wait, but, on, the, on the jet? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I don't know if it was every single day of the week, but like every week he was doing it. So maybe like, mm -hmm. um, but he would often go, go one way, stay there for the day, not even stay the night and come back. And um, I guess, I mean, even that, even a normal flight is only an hour away. So it's not that crazy. Sounds like but, the hedge fund managers that live in Connecticut and they chop her into the city. That's true, the blade. Have you either of you done that, Jack? There's a in New York. There's Blade that goes takes you to the Hamptons. You ever done that before? No, I haven't been. Uh, we did a one helicopter ride. Celia bought for my birthday, and it was just like I'm never getting on a helicopter ever again. <laughs> wait, 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 what birthday was this, and where was it? In New York, uh, must have been like late twenties <laughs> something. And you know, there's that shop, that pad downtown Manhattan, Bilal. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's probably where Blade up. Blade goes from there as well. I think. And there was, so it was like six people in the helicopter and like two other couples, I think. And there was this one woman who was so shit scared of being in a helicopter, it just destroyed the entire experience for oh, everyone else. Oh, was she just, just like hyperventilating? Like, and like, like what, what was she yeah, doing? Just like coward <laughs> in the corner. Like obviously whoever she was with had like said, oh yeah, it'd be fine. You'll love it. And she didn't, she didn't love it, obviously. So it was just the whole, and they're not. I don't know whether these things like put a lot of miles in and they're a bit rickety or something, but they're not the most like confidence inspiring vehicles either. And oh, you're just right. above the Hudson river. Like, yeah, if anything goes wrong up here, we're in big trouble. Um, you know what yeah. it is with these small aircrafts is, uh, so I took a, like a, basically a boat plane from Vancouver to Vancouver Island, which is just uh, off the coast. Yeah. The thing with these small aircrafts that you're describing, you feel everything, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you feel every single movement and tone. You're like, oh, what is happening? I mean, I think the rate, like, I don't know if this is just uh, disproportionately covered when accidents happen in helicopters, but it feels like in the last few years, and it's always obviously people of means that are pretty much using helicopters for transport, but there's been, you know, number of massive headlines of people. I mean, Kobe, I mean, Kobe, Kobe Bryant, obviously. The Leicester, the manager, uh, the owner of Leicester. Football oh, Club. yeah, of course. The Thai guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot about that one. Well, we talked about it amount. a couple episodes ago uh, uh, with, e- with uh, Jack Bezos being the peahound. He almost died in a helicopter accident in 2003 and is now partner, girlfriend, is a freaking helicopter instructor. And this guy was so hungry for the pee that he just got right back into the helicopter. Bro, you almost died 15 years ago. I love I love how <laughs> Trung has he's got his cursing counter that someone's updating in the comments right yeah. now. I'm just going to say, yo, listen, if my parents are listening, they're not going to know what peahound means. Like, dad, don't Google what peahound means, man. Like, you're not going to want to see the thought. Incognito window, Dr. Strang. If you Google peahound window, your mom's going to be upset, so don't do it, bro. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, this is one I'm not sending my parents, that sounds like. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, dude, I actually had two questions for you guys quickly. Uh, Give me some of your favorite vacations. I love Whistler because it's 90 minutes from Vancouver. Uh, it's not my favorite vacation ever. My favorite vacation is probably I, I did Italy with my kid and wife. But my probably my favorite vacation without my kid was in Morocco. I did a week in Morocco, Marrakesh, oh, that's sick. Marrakesh, son. And all they the hustling rich, there, bro. All yeah. the rich footballers go Marrakesh, man. You know Ronaldo's Marrakech's got to cool, up right? there. Yeah, dude, man, it's like a what it's like an hour flight from Spain. People didn't realize. I didn't realize until I was there. Like Morocco is basically Europe, man. It's like isn't it crazy? Because when you when you move to the States, I know, Trung, you lived there as well in Boston and stuff, right? Like, yeah. you get so used to being like, oh, it's a six-hour flight to right. LA totally. from New York. From A six-hour flight from London is Africa. Like, you're literally in another mm. continent. Right. Yeah, you're right. in North Not Africa. Exactly, or, right? or like you, Dude, you can think- drive to Morocco from Spain, right? Like, I mean, well, you got to get on a ferry and yeah. uh, I'll take you across. Like, I mean, I'll be honest. Let me tell you about my Morocco trip. Is like, I'll be honest. I've never been to Africa or the Middle East. Uh, before that trip to Morocco. And Morocco is not even really Africa, right? It's all the way in the Northeast. It's like the top corner. It's all like sub-Saharan Controversial, Africa. mate. Controversial. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true, right? Well, it's no, on yeah, the continent Africa, of Africa, yeah. but it's like, it's way up in the Northeast, right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'll be honest, is like, there, there have been uh, Islamic terrorist attacks in Morocco. There's a very big one in Marrakesh, actually, in the square. Uh, but they, obviously, Morocco prizes themselves as a tourist destination. So uh, it's a kingdom, and they, they really rubbed up the security, right? Like you land in Morocco and there are people strapped everywhere. Um, have you guys been to Morocco? No. No. I've been to North Africa, but not. I've where, been to like Egypt, Tunisia. Yeah, I was about to. Oh, you're, and, you're basically right next door, man. Yeah, yeah. So similar, but I've, I wanted Tunisia, to go to Morocco. It looks really cool. But yeah, Jack, what about you, mate? Anything coming to what mind? Favorite, favorite holiday destination. Or whatever. Cornwall. Uh, I found Cornwall, this out last mate. night because <laughs> yeah now it's Celia and I went to Italy I've been through Italy and skied in like the Italian mountains when I was a kid but not Italy proper you know another controversial comment maybe like <laughs> but Rome Florence right, we right, went right, right. in December of last year that was that was ace. how freaking uh, amazing is that place man? unbelievably inspiring uh they just like, got it um, right there everything in Italy just 
They live oh, the mate, good life, man. Serious. Food's amazing. Rome I can is... live in Florence, I think. I think it's oh, yeah, Florence. 100%. What's funny is that Italians don't like Rome, right? Nobody in Italy wants to live in Rome. It's because it's yeah. actually the, the, the city services are pretty bad. Is it like the Times Square, time yeah. Square of Italy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a strong statement as well. <laughs> We're going to have to out this entire section, right? Uh, <laughs> no, that's all right, man. Sorry, uh, Jack, I didn't mean to interrupt you, mate. But yeah, you, no, you it looks great. Um, like, I, there's places in the States that I love. Uh, one of my favorite places in the world is Carmel by the sea. In, uh, it's just south of San Francisco, I think. Um, that's, that's a great place. Uh, Tulum, nice uh, little... Oh, Tulum up in Mexico. Nice little beach down there, yeah. Not that well-traveled. Embarrassingly, um, haven't seen as much of Europe as I should have, considering I lived... Isn't right. that... That's the thing. When you leave, life. you realize how close you were to all this stuff. And I know. I almost, Unreal. like, saved... I saved a bunch of those places to go back to as well. well yeah, yeah. I've done, like, like, probably 35 states in America and oh, then maybe, wow. like, oh, five countries coverage, in bro. Europe. Yeah, that's good coverage. It's so, a pretty... Uh, you got to take your, your little boy out there, man. Just drive. Well, we drove once with my parents from London to Switzerland. And you just go through all these countries. It's quite a nice way to do it. I'll quickly answer as well, Trunk. I'll say two real quick because um, one was like a solo trip. It was like the first time I went on my own. It was kind of to your part of the world, but not not Canada, like Vietnam, I mean. Um, so I did a trip to... Yeah, yeah, I did a trip to for like a month, and I went to Tokyo, and then uh, went to uh, Thailand, and went all through all the islands and stuff of like that. And that was just like the first time I went completely on my own, and it was just like really, you know, obviously fun. And then the the one I did recently with the missus, that was great because it was like a two three month trip in Argentina. I went down to oh Patagonia. Buenos Aires, we kind of like lived there, if you want to call it that, for a couple there months. There must have been some tomahawk steaks there, yeah? Oh, my, every day. Oh, my <laughs> every day. I mean, it, my, they I know what it. they're doing. <sighs> oh, it's crazy, yeah. You actually know what I, sh- what I should do for another fun fact fan in a future episode? We're going to keep all this. We're going to tease our listeners. Is uh, About 100 years ago, no, maybe 110 years ago, I think Argentina had the same GDP, was the top five or 10 GDP in the world. And uh, and then now they just are no longer top five to ten. And the yeah. reason, the story of how that happened is fascinating. Man, like even have, the, even the modern version, like the from two thousand and one, that is mean, that is a crazy back, like, story. Nineteen hundred. If you're saying what is going to be the country of the twenty century, a lot of people are like, oh, it might be Argentina. And the reason why That's it never interesting. happened. That would be a great great segment. Uh, yeah, man. I'm looking forward to that. Um, the, and the last thing I'll add on this, uh, tourism stuff, cause I know people want to hear about the edge of the internet is, uh, dude, I was in Switzerland once and listen, man, when I traveled pre my wife, like I'm a, I'm a dusty dude. Right. And, <laughs> and, and you know, dusty, you know, dude. I had never been to a Swiss, I never been to McDonald's in, uh, in, I was in Zurich, obviously McDonald's in Zurich is legendary for being the most expensive McDonald's ever. I rolled up in the McDonald's. My shoes, I'm wearing shoes that have holes in the back of them. And, uh, and, and I'm going south with my buddies and it's like $30 for Big Mac meal. I can't remember what it was. This is obscene, right? Uh, the conversion with Canadian. And I go there and the homeless guy walks in and he starts tapping people on the shoulders. Like, Hey, can you buy me a meal? And as you can imagine, Swiss homeless people are actually pretty well put together. And the guy taps me, I'm like, I swear to God, he taps me asked to buy something from uh, the menu and then he looks at my shoes and he just goes, it's okay, man. <laughs> it looks like you need this more <laughs> He was going to buy you a meal. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, okay, yo, Dude, I got one more. I, got I never one heard you call one. yourself Dusty before. That's hilarious. I, know. Well, I, I got, I got one last one from my Do European it, travel stories. I was in Stockholm. There aren't a lot of Asian folk in Stockholm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I rolled in there. I'm, I'm, I got gassed, right? Like I was drinking like the entire day and we hit the clubs. Then after hours, everybody goes to the chicken spots, you know, the after hour eats. And uh, so these, these, these Swiss, oh, no, sorry, the Swedish folk, have, oh, no, sorry, I was in Finland, I was in Helsinki. And there's like these, <laughs> the Helsinki folk haven't seen a lot of Asians in their life. So I'm in line waiting for chicken and these Helsinki, these Finnish guys think they can just bust in front of me. I'm like, no, 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 that's not happening. I start chirping in the back. And then this, this guy literally just looks at me, he goes, you are the most arrogant Asian I've ever met in my life. Oh my God. No, it's like, it's like, bro, you probably met less on the one hand, like less than five Asians, right? So this guy just did not believe that there could be such a mouthy Asian telling him that he wants his chicken first. Uh, that's a yeah, great, that's I mean, I had the similar thing in Iceland, man, where I had amazing time, but it's just, they don't meet many yeah, people. Exactly, right? I mean, they're like the, you know, Iceland, you know. Homog- Iceland is like the most homogenous country in the world, right? They're and the they're all right? huge. <laughs> anyway, um, no, good good little travel chat but yeah, let's get on to the meat of the conversation so what we're going to chat about today we, we talked about avail resorts already we're going to break down the infrastructure bill uh which sounds like a boring title but there's actually a lot of really interesting stuff in that that's related to crypto and uh protecting the little guy and all this sort of stuff so we're going to talk about that the edge of the internet stuff where jack actually ran um an nft auction uh, for this what was going on and something called party bid we're going to talk about and axie infinity and also a thread from chris dixon on web3 uh, but before we do that i do want to big up one of the nia fam called capsun 100 who wrote the most incredible incredible review on apple um he said if you bought some board apes in episode three you could have been on a yacht by episode 16 and that <laughs> we shared that in the telegram that is a legendary all-star comment. So, well, hold on. Let, let, let's ask Jack, the not investment advice connoisseur on there NFTs. We go. <laughs> if you had bought a board ape that's three months ago, oh, average, what are you talking here? Average. Average is hard, but minimum, if you bought, I can't remember exact date we recorded episode three, but. Um, you're probably up 50x, maybe. That's mad. Absolutely. Yeah, we will caveat. Exactly. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not investment now. advice. And there's obviously been, the market has uh, responded thusly. So you'll be able to find 10,000 imitation projects at this point. And, uh, you know, but hopefully there's some Lindy effect because it kind of cemented itself as the second, or at least the, the first of the new wave after the you know the classic crypto, crypto punk crypto avatar punks. project what was and the so, cheapest one what was the floor in uh, around three months ago when you were buying or what did you buy your uh, uh, so three three they minted them at 0.08 which uh you know just under 0.1 ethereum which is a hundred hundred dollars right yeah, dude, yeah I, i'm oh my god dude i know this is look I, and i've oh said this before god. I don't normally get FOMO, but this is the one I actually do feel. And I and every time we talked about it, I was like, I can buy now. I did a trunk. I was like, the way trunk felt about Bitcoin since 2013, I was like, oh, it keeps going. I can't get myself to do it. And then 
now like one just got sold for 1.2 million dollars do you see that that was the yeah, jack posted that in the telegram group definitely jump in the and this is in the time we've done this podcast in a few months so it's, and it's jack pretty crazy is feeding us board ape information all day in our twitter dms it's all day it's just links to board apes hey man you should buy this one hey you should buy no he never actually tells us about it. he oh even within our three-person group jack uses non-investment advice frequently <laughs> <laughs> yeah doesn't want to be on the hook for that one but anyway yeah uh Go on, go on, Jack. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, yes, it was, there's definitely other projects as well that I haven't been able to act upon or even get my head around because the volume of stuff in this space based on the success of that. And obviously there's like the huge amount of capital sloshing around now. It's just madness out there. So definitely not investment advice. Well, I mean, I think uh, before we go into the edge of internet stuff, I think we have to bring up last week, we talked about Tom Sachs rockets. And Trung Fan, one of the co-hosts of Non-Investment Advice, made a prediction that Jack Butcher, who invested 10000 roughly 10000 into making a Chanel-branded rocket, NFT, it would be worth 200000 What is it worth today? So last time we checked, I think it was around 70000 if you <laughs> did the conversion. We got a few months. Dude, I said I said within three to five years. This is gonna happen within three to five weeks. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah this that stuff is mental, man. Interesting. It's getting interesting. Yeah, Gary V. I saw a posting about it as well. We shared that in the Telegram. He's he's been. Uh, he said it was his favorite one after. Uh, well, I think it's his favorite one after his own one. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the <laughs> mechanics of it. <laughs> I, that I think it might be like the dam busting moment for like people with real re resources coming in and doing interesting stuff in the world of NFTs, like, you know, a, an artist with a track record that has like high concept uh, and a team and like really invests in making something special. So I think uh, we're going to see more of that for sure. Wait, so Jack, you mentioned something in our Twitter DMs and I, I don't want to keep holding up this next uh, segment, but the, the reason why I want to bring this up is because somebody this morning uh, Justin, I don't see his last name here. Awesome. He shouted out non-investment advice. I think he does financial advising, but he wrote up a blog post, shouted us out, which is great. You know, we always enjoy the plug, but, uh, he, he brought, I mean, the, the, his blog post brought up a great point is like, if you're between, you know, 15, 25, and you're listening to us, I know we, I'm, I'm assuming we have some of those listeners. I know some are in Budapest, Hungary, uh, listening. So listen, listen very carefully. <laughs> I know we joke a lot about here. We talk a lot about Jack's crazy YOLO NFTs, but at the end of the day, what allows that to happen is that 90% of our, well, not necessarily for Jack, but I think the way people should look at it is like, if you have a barbell approach to investing, which is 90% in relatively safe assets, they call it FANG or some of these indices, or, you know, Google's not going anywhere, right? If you put 90% of your assets into Google, it's not the end of the world. Bilal might say something different because he sold 90% of his, his holding in Google when it was worth like $2. Uh, but uh, what, what we're trying to say is if you have relatively safe assets, you can do a barbell approach, which is one side of the barbell is fairly safe. 10% is absolutely insane. Shit show. <laughs> like, and yeah. I and advice. It, with it, there's barbell within the barbell, within yeah. the other side of the barbell. So it's like yeah, yeah. you could bet on the protocol. You're betting on the idea that people are gonna make markets for pictures of monkeys. You could just buy Ethereum. You don't have to. You don't have to gamble on a camel yeah. project or the monkey project or whatever. It's like, oh, 
this protocol is making it possible for these people to basically make markets out of thin air. That's cool. Maybe this is not the, you know, the hundred year, uh, this is like the pets.com of that new right. protocol potentially, but, um, there are le like layers at which you can place your bets that <laughs> there don't are require barbells in the barbells in the, inside in the, the barbell. Barbell. Wait, Jack, when you say the, the protocal here, you're talking about Ethereum. Is that Correct. what you mean? Yeah. 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 Because all this has been built. A lot of it's right. been built on Ethereum. Well, the yeah, other so, part I'd ask to, well, you, Jackie mentioned is, is you get to learn if you allocate 10% in this absolute YOLO kind of barbell, crazy NFT stuff, you're learning about the future of the internet. So uh, it's like a price of admission to learn about the future. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I like was kind of comfortable with the theory of it and like the mechanics of it, but until you like press the button and you're in it, it's a very different feeling. And I think it's also because it's so much, it's so small, it's such a subculture now that you are almost learning the culture is as important as learning the technical side of it. So be, having skin in the game, I think uh, that's another way to get exposure to the way people are thinking about the stuff and talking about it, not just, you know, staring at a spreadsheet or whatever else. Cause all of these things are moving from this thing that you're just, just an abstraction. You're like betting on because your financial advisor says it's a good idea to these community owned things and like people collab collaborating to create value. So it, and you know, it might not be your thing. So, uh, not everybody should get into it, but if it intrigues you, you could spend a couple hundred bucks and like get a sense of what it's all about. Join the discords, all of that kind of stuff. I think that's the best part, mate, that we just said about like joining discords, seeing what people are talking about. People are sharing, um, you know, they're, they're sharing all the projects they're working on. Like, um, I think that's the best part of it because that's worth the few hundred dollars. You know, that's not, yeah. you, you don't have to risk too much to be, to be learning. Yeah, that. and you don't need to spend anything to get into the Discord. That's the crazy thing. Free, right? like, they, they're all open invite, which is amazing that like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago on the internet, you wouldn't want to open invite to anything because people <laughs> just crash into it and you know what it would devolve into, right? It's just be absolute carnage. <laughs> but for whatever reason, maybe this because there's an economic layer to it. People don't like act the way they would have 15 years ago. Uh, I was going to say something else as you were talking below. You gave me an idea. Um, yeah, the idea of community management in all these spaces, like all this stuff fracturing into these small, um, these smaller communities that are focused on one project at a time. I think like a discord community manager is a six figure job by the end of this year. Oh, if you're absolutely. good at that, that's a great point. No, yeah, there's, like a, there's a few actually, uh, Nat Eliason, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago posted something where like meme generating and community management were like the key roles. But like, I think uh, one of you guys might have sent it to me is like, if you go down the job list of every crypto company, they all have one now. So yeah, you're yeah. the officer, right? Yeah. And, and coming from corporate, like community kind of has this tired, almost cliche meaning to it. It's like replying to, I think of community manager, the way it's been instilled in me is like, you work for Delta and you're like replying to tweets where people are complaining <laughs> about missing their flight or yeah, their food's yeah, yeah. cold or something. But it's way more now um, like you're literally building these little worlds and like helping uh, grow the value of a product by connecting the people that are interested in it. And uh seems to be happening. Discord and Twitter is like the social stack for making that happen. So I think if you learn those two things, 
regardless of whether you have NF like exposure to NFTs or not, those like those skills are bringing people together and organizing them around a cause on the internet. It's bulletproof skill building. Oh, and also, oh, oh my God. and then like even yesterday, I was trying to put some money into sushi swap which is like you know sushi.com right which is basically uniswap's fork right and and i was just messing around with it because i've I've played around with it before and and you go to it i mean first of all one incredible domain name right like sushi.com they own this and again not investment advice but they th- th- there's no better way to understand <laughs> Why are you laughing? Trans reaction. No, it's just like you so earnestly said, yeah, so yesterday I was putting some money into sushi swap. <laughs> yeah, it sounds ridiculous. It just and sounds you, like trying to explain this to anyone. I know, you're ridiculous. so earnest. Like, it's just like you're just no, dead but, serious. No, honestly, and the reason I bring up because you go to each page and you say, okay, what's this? One of them is lending. And then it kind of explained it. And then, totally. th- then you have to connect your MetaMask. And I was actually having issues with it. Uh, it wasn't allowing me to connect. But it's just like that feeling of clicking the button, pressing your fingerprint on, on the, to sign it or whatever, or typing in your password. And, and th- then you get it. You're like, oh, I've got money in here and I've connected to this thing called sushi.com. And now I'm lending it to someone else. It's sitting in this, this contract. So anyway, I was just trying to fi- play around with all the different parts of it. And there's just, there's no, when you then go to explain that or in five years time when, you know, maybe banks, obviously banks are going to be around, right, for some time, but there might be a bigger segment of people using these services for peer-to-peer lending. Did you and buy all the other, I, I've had that for ages. Yeah, I've, okay. I've, I've had that from before, not doing the best, to be honest. But anyway, because I actually think when I started looking into it, I was like, I don't know if buying this even has much value you know i needed to actually learn more about it because a lot of this is to do the supply and what you know the value of that is so anyway that's a whole different topic um but i was just trying to figure out like yeah i mean just seeing that it really explains it because you can hear us talk about it but until you actually go and do it yourself that's the way you learn and whether that means you're you know putting five dollars in uh, or five million it doesn't matter it's about like understanding what's being built so um anyway i think that's a good segue anyway <laughs> into what we were going to chat about because this is all related so um the infrastructure bill was a big topic over the last week um i, I met my friend who we call him 400 dollar fiat guy uh within our friend group he's probably listening to this as well because he just every month he puts all his money into investing stuff. And uh, he was like, look, man, I just made three calls today to uh, the senators or whatever it was. So oh um, I, I don't know that much about this, but we did talk about it in the group. So do either of you want to try to give a summary of what was going on? Jack Trying should do it. I, I, yeah, yeah, I can give it my best shot. And, and my, um, my inability to explain this I will kind of come full circle as to why I undertook the project that I undertook to try and solve the problem that I don't understand the issue here. So infrastructure bill, if you're not in the States or you don't pay attention to this stuff, is like, what, $3 trillion, $4 trillion of government spending across like all sorts of stuff. Like you name it, it's in there somewhere. There's a great Twitter thread that somebody put together that pulled out all of the different projects that have been like lumped into this bill. I just pull, I just pulled it up. Do you want me to go through some of the things? Just that pull a few, yeah, a few examples of things. Okay, so let me, uh, before Jack opines more on uh, his uh, his specific project, the infrastructure bill is basically 
it's bipartisan because it's everybody loves it, right? It's spending. If you are a politician, that means money is being directed some way, likely towards your district. Because if you're if you're a, uh, a congressman or a congresswoman, like your whole job is you're trying to get money towards you, right? So these massive infrastructure bills, you're just trying to figure out ways to get money to you in some capacity. And the way that these infrastructure bills work is that everybody kind of argues over it and they try to get money for different aspects of it. So a lot of things that people will get those, like there's a lot of criticism over this bill because some of the things are pretty frivolous, right? It's like 50 million towards like uh, education about uh, about trees, something like that line might happen. Like I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but something along those lines will happen. But then you have something, a big ticket item like, uh, 700 billion or 500 billion plus goes towards building an EV charger station across America, right? So that, that's something that totally makes sense. And then the classics are always like fixing bridges, fixing roads and stuff like that. But if you actually dig into the infrastructure bill, uh, the word is pork. It's called, there's just a lot of, the, 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 the negative term is just pork. It's just like, just things that are stuffed in there that have no real value. And, uh, but, but Congress, uh, uh, women and men, uh, Congress, well, congressmen, congresswomen are happy to take those because there's money for their district, right? So that's just like the broad line of the infrastructure bill. Just to summarize, is like, it's a huge part of money. It gets bipartisan support because and no matter what side of the aisle you're on, if you're a politician, you want that money coming towards you, right? And then the other part of it is that you have these big name projects like building a charger network across all America that everybody's like, Oh, that's great. Right. Like you can call it like the charger network infrastructure bill, but in reality, that's going to be 20, 30% of it. And you're going to have 70% of this 3.5 trillion going to like, frankly, in a lot of people's eyes, like some frivolous things. So that was kind of the outlines of it. And within that. And trunk is huge, something- right? Like it's just to, to quantify Massive. this is, there's no way all these people have read the whole thing. Obviously, it's, it's oh, massive. It's massive, right? Yeah, it's like you need a, pages long. Yeah, you need yeah. a whole team. You need teams and teams of people. Exactly. Summarizing so that's why you sneak in and you find these like kind of crazy things. But it's all trade offs, right? It's politicians trading off with each other. It's like, hey, listen, uh, you know, if I vote for this for uh, which means that Wisconsin will end up getting a lot of money because we have X amount of uh, of land that's used for this resource, and you know, I'll trade off for you in the future, or whatever, right? But uh, stuck inside that bill is something around crypto uh, taxations because 3.5 trillion or whatever the final numbers it has to be paid for and one way that people are like hey where can we find a massive pot of money and it, it's in crypto right such a massive growing segment of the financial markets and uh and this is where i'll pass it off to jack but this is where this part of the infrastructure bill caused controversy specifically within the crypto community because of the language of how they're going to tax and uh, apparently regulate crypto yeah that's good so the the initial language around crypto that i saw the most pushback on is this idea of the definition of a broker so if you're a broker in a financial system i think that means you have to issue 1099s to anywhere you like money flows from you to somewhere else and the language that was in the initial bill defined like some of the touch points in the crypto ecosystem that could not comply with like technically could never comply with that and are right. not a broker by any different definition of the word. So like people are developing wallets and uh, like parts of the crypto ecosystem that aren't these like fiat to crypto 
on ramps or off ramps are not brokers by the definition so of like, broker. Jack, in that case, what people might have heard of, like Coinbase, Gemini, these are places we all go, we press our credit card, connect our bank, buy $50 of crypto. That makes sense. They've already yeah. got they've already got that infrastructure set up. At the end of the year, you get like a summary. But you're saying a developer who's someone who's making a tool, like the little guy a lot of the time, it's not big tech or whatever, it's, or even Coinbase. And then another phrase I've heard is like validators, right? So like, yeah. I think a node, uh, that, yeah. a node on, on the network. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to add that as well. But Yeah, it's very good. That clears it up. Like a, a good metaphor I heard is like when the web was being developed, it's like, okay, if you're going to write JavaScript, then you have to, you know, file this form with the government every time you ship a new piece of code. Right. So it's like, I don't think what they're doing is necessarily like that definition, the way it's defined would not raise more tax revenue. It would just like destroy Stifle the speed at which innovation. they yeah. could move and get built, which long-term will reduce tax revenue, right? If you can't build the tools right. that increase the size of the ecosystem and like, uh, in the same way that the internet got more usable through a, a bunch of people uh, getting into it, developing it, supporting it in all these different small uh, ways, then um, you know the criticism was you're just going to completely, basically kneecap the development of the crypto ecosystem. And there was a amendment offered. There was, there was a couple of amendments. Uh, I'm going to get the specific details wrong. Toomey, Loomis, and another senator, I believe, had an amendment that was like cleared up the language to the point where the people I respect in the space were like, this this is fair. Like, this makes sense. Let's do it. It wouldn't have impacted, like, it, this is not crypto people lobbying to avoid tax. It's lobbying to avoid restrictions that would prevent the, like, the speed of innovation in the system. So that, uh, that amendment was what got all of this uh, groundswell of support on Twitter. So I saw it from this organization called Fight for the Future. They did a lot of work around net neutrality, which is maybe where your friend Bilal got the, it's like they make it really easy to call your senator. You go on and you say, hey, here's my uh, zip code and here's my name. And then if they call your on oh, my phone number or my zip code, they call your phone, they connect you with a senator, they give you a script to read to say, please vote Love for it. this. I think this yeah. is fair. Um, amazing organization, fight for the future. Uh, donate to them if you can. And um, anyway, so it goes through this ridiculous process in the Senate. And I think Ted Cruz, a lot of people disagree with Ted Cruz, but a lot of people switch their at least momentary position on Ted Cruz for his speech <laughs> where he said, like, we should not be writing regulation around something that we literally cannot explain. I could, I, if I asked, I couldn't find five people in this room that could give me two sentences that even remotely describe what a cryptocurrency is. And for that reason, I don't think we should be writing laws to stifle the innovation of it, especially when our competitors are embracing it and throwing capital at, uh, Innovating China. it, being the hub of it, exactly. China. So, China. <laughs> so, and I think that that is like a huge, um, like this is not going to be the first issue that comes down to this, and and even the way in which governing is done. Another great analogy I saw was like, imagine you're developing a piece of software and you try and push through three thousand code changes at the same time. That's essentially what bills of this size are doing. It's like oh, if the right, US is right. a product. You're like, okay, we've got all these ideas. We haven't tested any of this code in production. We're just going to freaking press push, 
versus like every amendment is like, uh, you guys know GitHub. It's like you commit a single change, you see if it works, right. everyone votes on it. And if it works, then we, then we keep it in. So I think countries and governance systems that push towards like more iterative and nuanced and uh, like well-considered ultimately uh, changes will end up winning over the long term. Anyway, Coin Center, this is a really crazy statistic. There's an organization called Coin Center. You've probably seen Niraj on Twitter. He's like, uh, 150,000 followers. Yeah, he's, yeah. Post, right? he's been writing a lot about this. Galore, yeah. And uh, he gets he's a lot a of reach. He's, he's a, a great, he's like hilarious dude and uh, brings a lot of focus on these issues. And I was like, okay, what can I do? I can, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm not an American citizen, so I have very limited power in my, uh, you know, political movements, but I have, you know, this platform built visualized value. So what can I do? So I was like, oh, I'll try and raise some money for Coin Center. They're a you know, not-for-profit group in DC that their sole aim is to basically fix the problem that we're talking about, like educate people in government around what crypto is, how to make it, you know, how to, how to foster innovation and still comply with all of the laws of the land, things of that nature. So great organization. Let's raise some money for that. So I made Wait, a piece he, of art. He reached out to you? No, I just did it by myself. So, you, was, but you did not communicate with them at all. Not until after I launched it. So okay, okay. I was like, I went on a coin center. You can donate in Ethereum. I'm just going to make a piece of art. Whatever we raise, I'll, I'll chuck the Ethereum at that address, and um, put that up. Got a few people bidding on it, and uh, let's see this thing. Up. Yeah, I'll do a little share. Let's have a look. And actually, Jack, while you're pulling up, I'm just going to add one comment really quickly because you talked about ted cruz i'm just yep. stalling here but i was going to make this point after anyway so um ted cruz was obviously one vocal person but of course there were so many people talking about this brian armstrong from coinbase which there's a great thread or a couple threads we can go through in a second elon musk jack dorsey um like lots and lots of people were talking about this and one of the nuances was around um proof of work versus proof of stake which we've talked about on this show a little bit before and the, the 10 second version of this was one of them was included and one of them wasn't. I think proof right. of stake was being treated differently and it was going to essentially make proof of stake less, um, you know, it was not going to be a positive thing for proof of stake, which given all of the other priorities around environmental factors, I mean, it's the infrastructure bill, right? Proof of stake is 100 times more energy efficient, apparently. And so there was a big conversation. I think Balaji even wrote something along the lines of, this is the first kind of attack against that. And there will be another one later around proof of work being energy intensive. And the last thing I'll say is episode zero of this show, we did the Balaji discussion. And he said in another podcast that there's a 100% chance of a regulatory attack on cryptocurrencies from the US government. And I think, I don't know if you want to call this completely a regulatory attack, but this was obviously kind of in that mode. So that was all I wanted to add. Now you've got it well, on one screen. One thing actually, so can, Bilal, yeah, is, uh, Brian Armstrong said that that was like picking, uh, he said the way that proof of stake and proof of work was being kind of randomly chosen which one should continue was like if 15 years ago, senators were like, hey, listen, iOS is no longer allowed. We're just going to allow Android. Exactly. And it's like picking winners and losers is the other way I heard it described. And, and um, writing language uh, that 
yeah, like you say, it doesn't allow for the development of new technologies as well. It's like what uh, if you fall outside of these two definitions, then like you're not complying with U.S. law, which is, uh, you know, why would you take that risk if you could go and develop something somewhere else that's way less hostile to, Clearly. to building technology? Um, but also, so, so, this so this is the artwork, right? This is awesome, This is man. a piece, and it's basically, you know, I think we've talked about this before, the, the thesis that whichever way this bill is voted upon, like what would be a significant thing uh, to look back at in 10, 15, 20 years, crypto succeeds in the US. The crypto community came together, 40,000 people made phone calls to their senators and directed this bill one way or the other. So um, simple piece of artwork, obviously, uh, in the visualized value vein. And the the interesting piece of this is there's this, um, this will take us basically into the next part of the conversation. There's this DAO called Party DAO, which is like this, there was and this decentralized... For people that don't know, uh, yeah, go on. Sorry, uh, Decentralized yeah, yeah. So, Autonomous so de Organization. It stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It was a crowdfund through Mirror. So basically crypto Kickstarter. People had an idea like, how do we democratize or lower the barrier to entry to people who want to own these pieces of digital art but might not be able to... Yeah, bid 10, 15, 20, 30 Ethereum. They want exposure to these historic pieces of art and culture as they're being made. But if you don't, if you didn't buy Ethereum in 2017 or 2016, then, you know, um, the likelihood that you can compete with big collectors is slim to none. So they developed this product called Party Bid, which uh, is interesting. For a bunch of reasons, uh, it's down right now. That's a shame. Um, but what it aims to do is let people pool funds to to bid on NFT auctions. So instead of finding two people to buy this thing, this is a good example. Um, yeah. You can pull together. Here's on screen. If you're not watching the video, um, there was an auction a week ago for a punk. A crypto punk and they managed to pull 478 people together and they raised 1200 ethereum 3.6 million dollars won this auction and i use the same technology at a much uh, smaller scale to raise money to bid against single collectors on that uh that piece of artwork that we did and if you're watching as well this is like a really interesting new ui it's like this collaborative Thing. There's another cursor on the screen with me. It takes that like co-working Figma style. Yeah, I was thinking it looks like UI. Figma to me. Yeah, the way you're describing that. Yeah, so so someone... look, look, I just want to clarify this. So this uh, what, this organization that you're referring to, the one that ended up buying your piece of artwork, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so uh, a pool, like we, we, it was called Party Pack. So the idea oh, that, uh, you know, yeah, we, right. we pulled full funds together as like advocates for the crypto community bid on this piece. And then the, um, you know, all of the, the proceeds, proceeds went to Coin Center. Went so to Coin how, Center. How many people were in Party Pack? Uh, I think it's about 27. Okay. Um, so just to summarize, also, just to summarize, Jack Butcher put up an art piece, a digital art piece to raise money for Coin Center. Coin Center is helping, was helping the fight against 
uh, this this language in the infrastructure bill, which would have kneecapped the crypto industry. Now, the interesting thing about who won the bid for Jack's piece is that they're using kind of this mechanism like that basically just 450 people basically just bought a crypto punk, which is $3 million. And yeah. there's a lot to pull on that thread. Now all those people that help purchase that crypto punk, they get to put that in the profile picture, right? right. It's like, right. that's a smart part. We don't need to talk about that, but there's a there's this whole mechanism happening. Our old friend Packy uh, wrote about it actually, how NFTs are kind of becoming a social network. Uh, but this kind of same uh, setup was used to purchase your piece of art. Yeah, I'm going to share one more thing, which I thought was badass from this, uh, this Twitter account, Mellow Wolf, who said, the Coin Center annual budget is about 1.3 million USD. This currently equals about eight of the cheapest crypto punks available. We can do better oh crypto community, support what we all need yep. with the exact same fervor. So this was like, this whole thing was a big uh, realization for me. And, you know, everyone's having fun and like, you know, these markets are like just madness and like it draws a lot of people in and the activism side of it. I think, you know, Bilal, we could probably wax on this for a while. So you have way more experience there. Like, how do you get people as excited about, you know, you don't have to even deviate too far from what you're doing, but how can these activities like go to, toward fueling defense of the technology that makes them possible? Because it's not, like it's a, it's only a free market to the extent that it doesn't get big enough for a bunch of 70 year old people to be like, what is this? Let's kill that shit. Yeah. Like yeah. That. And, and put it into context like this with these transactions that you see like popping off people buying cartoons at that level of like that much money is moving around. It's like, man, do you, it just, the imbalance seems absolutely astounding. And this is like that 1.3 million, how many people can that employ in DC? And the fight that they have on their hands is right. just bananas, enormous. Um, and it's not always capital either. Like I realize for myself, like I have a role to play in this. I can do, there's plenty that I could be doing to even help communicate these things, whether it's directly like what Coin Center needs help communicating or uh, this story in general where, uh, you know, all this money sloshing around this ecosystem and how much of it is actually going towards the preservation of the values and education of the people that get, can like enshrine this stuff and protect it long-term. So big lesson there. I think uh, hopefully a um, few more experiments along the way and Fight for the Future, amazing organization that made the phone calls possible. And then Coin Center is like on the ground in DC with a very specific crypto focus. So those are the two organizations I think I'll be focused on figuring out how to, how to help them. Um, but what I think is really interesting about this in the context of art is uh, this, the significance that you can give a piece of art based on what it achieved in real time. That's like what the internet allows us to do. So um I think, yeah, just a lot of uh, neurons firing around about how we can make this way more interesting. That was like a you know, 15 minute idea, spun it up to raise some money, but a lot more to come on that front. That's well, sick, let's not man. bury the lead here. Go on. Jack was contacted by the failing CNN. There we go. <laughs> the failing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we forgot to, to mention that in the yeah, intro. Yeah. Someone Jack, updated so Jack, the counter. Yeah. I'm on my way so to my Jack blue check, Trump. Yeah, are you ready? 
I mean, listen, we don't have to talk about DJT, but uh, the feeling CNN, when Jack messaged me, he said, yo, CNN wants to talk. What do you think? I'm like, I mean, Jack, first of all, doesn't care. He's going to do it whether or not he wants to. But I'm just like, man, uh, when, uh, if it's a negative or it's a hit piece, it doesn't matter, man. Just, all you got to do is come back and say failing CNN and uh, it's going to go to the <laughs> uh, No, but uh, they wrote a pretty nice piece. Uh, summed it up really nicely here about uh, Jack and, uh, and what was going on with Coin Center. But here we go. This is the money, people. <laughs> okay, first of all, Jack Butcher, a Nashville-based artist. Or, artist, come on. So much more than an artist. But here yeah. we go. Whichever here, I'm quoting Jack here, probably to, to his dismay. Whichever way the bill goes, this piece represents a community coming together to defend a nascent technology against hastily written legislation that would prevent <laughs> an unfathomable amount of financial innovation happening in the U.S. Oh, my goodness, bro. Those are some... Drop on a some bars, son. Hastily, nice. bro. I got to say, the unfathomable... Five Great use of the son. word. Five it is unfathomable, though. Like I think it is. Like the that's the that word does uh, encapsulate what we're talking about here. It's like the exponential upside of embracing this technology, being a uh, like in the same way that the dot com boom was right, Silicon right. Valley. You know, like a, a country friendly to building those companies, mass the biggest creators of wealth in you know the human history a, and this will be a, this will be the same thing right well do you know what's cool Amazing. as well jack is that just symbolically what you did there with party bid and nfts like these are two ideas that are on the edge of the internet slash like really cutting edge ideas cut that you guys use that to combat stifling of those ideas right, right, so it's right, just right like and the there's fact a huge that irony to it. exactly yeah. right. and there's a piece of artwork that symbolizes you know this moment in time and i know, and i just heard the way you described that there it was quite cool to hear the way you were thinking about it similar to the first you know the nft that we talked about in episode 01 which was the two boxes nft and jpeg with the verified check like that was you know again seems super simple but it was so simple that we all got it and it was funny it had the humor in it too because we all, and that's exactly what, you know, art is in many ways. It's like capturing a moment in time. And, and this was similar. It's like the phone, you know, we all, mm -hmm. everyone's trying to make these calls. So and cool I, like, I, th I think uh, even as cool that you notice the phone, like that was one of the things I thought about. It's like, imagine if you own that and in 20 years, you look at the iPhone 12 is going to look like a 80s, like, you know, one of those big yeah. bricks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's going to have historical significance, hopefully. That's, uh, man, I just think we have a massive opportunity to, to uh, support the things we want to support because of the excitement in this space. It brings a whole new, like, and Bilal, we got to do a bit on this with you on another episode, maybe, of like, I think it brings a massive amount of potential to fundraising in general. Well, when you said that earlier, I don't know if we just want to talk about some of it now, but I remember you said at one point, it's really hard to get people to care about causes. And I, and I think, I can't remember if this was at the end of the year when you did a big charity thing yeah, or yeah, it was something yeah. else. But I mean, again, yeah, that could probably be a whole episode on its own because there's a lot to unpack there. But do, do you remember yeah, when you had yeah, that Yeah, I thought about it a lot. We gave away maybe 150 grand last year in various different ways. 
And I've played with so many different mechanics to get people to care about it. And it has to be a secondary thing for the most part. If you just come to the, the Twitter feed and be like, hey, send your money to this address, nobody's going to do it. But if you can be yeah. a part of this movement and you have ownership in this piece of art, again, you know, the market is never wrong. I'm not complaining about the fact that it's difficult. I'm just saying it, it is difficult and you have to be extremely clever uh, and in the same way that you would to position any product or decision, there's a lot of work that goes into making these things. Uh, and Charity was up there, Bilal, with maybe the best examples that ever, like the way they built a brand and tell stories and involve people is just incredible. So I think maybe we'd do a little uh, evergreen philanthropy episode. Yeah, definitely. Well, just Wait, one uh, thing. I'll go on, try on, Bilal. Are you still involved with Charity Water? No, not anymore. I mean, I speak to them and um, chat. I mean, I donate a small amount of money every month, but yeah, just because I work there, I guess is what you meant. Yeah, definitely. But the, the knows, one thing I'll say, just to system. add to what, what you said there was, especially me coming from the business world, going to charity world, one of the things I just thought, okay, the whole charity world just needs to embrace this, you know, the transactions, the way that business works. And, you know, half of charity world came from that world too, right? Like it wasn't just a traditional nonprofit. Um, but there is a crazy difference in selling a product to get to X revenue versus asking someone to donate where Correct. primarily they're not getting anything out of it. And that was, we had quite a philosophical thing here where we, we got offered all the time to like be able to give something away. You know, like some charities will do come and hang out with Will Smith for a weekend and, and mm. we'll auction that off. We did some stuff like that, but generally it was we always kind of philosophically said like we want people to understand the joy of giving and and like and give for the sake of giving and we need to show them we need to, there's several reasons why they don't trust charities and we need to just combat every single one of those you know like if why they don't trust us and like you know i hate to be the like bitcoin fixes this idiot but it's like <laughs> you imagine like the transparency of blockchain applied to some of these problems is pretty profound and even if you don't go into the way the funds are distributed at the charity level the status symbol of an nft that i supported this cause not that i changed my fucking picture frame on facebook to have this like frame around it yeah, yeah i yeah. bought this thing and 98 percent of the capital i used to buy it went to this organization and you could look at my address and see mm. that that thing is in my wallet so it's going to bridge this idea of status philanthropy like markets social media like, yeah it's going to be crazy man and i think it will be a very powerful system to like you know put money where it needs to go yeah i think we should definitely do a whole because there's a lot to break down there i feel like today we would rush it but just that's already a good good discussion Great, yeah, yeah. on it ever evergreen evergreen <laughs> trying anything else before we move on uh, yeah, i know we had a few up. things on brian armstrong's threads yeah, and stuff, one of the threads that go you for it, man. so uh, just to summarize where we're at is that infrastructure bill that has made it through the senate the language has been removed uh, the most damaging language. Some analysts now in the crypto industry think that if you actually look at what happened, it's still a positive uh, in the sense that they're clearly thinking about these things now, which only mainstreams crypto even more, right? Granted, they could totally fuck the entire thing. Counter, fine. But uh, <laughs> uh, they're at least thinking about it. So 
something that Brian brought up in a thread he put two days ago was uh, after uh, the language had been taken out and it was like, it looked like a pretty positive outcome. He basically was just saying, like, crypto just wants the opportunity to be on par with traditional finance. He's not asking for a leg up. He's not asking for special treatment. He's just saying, like, with the tax reporting requirements that are put in the original language, if you bought a coffee with Bitcoin, you basically had to file papers, right? And he's just like, all we're asking for is just put us on the level playing field with traditional finance. And, um, and basically just saying, there's a lot more education that will go on. It ended up being apparently 80,000 people contact the senators, which is insane. Incredible. It actually speaks to uh, just the community of Bitcoin is actually kind of what makes it inevitable, right? Uh, our, I know we bring up Pomp at least once an episode, but he wrote a great article about how when all the laser eyes things started popping out in the profile pictures, he's like, he's just explaining the genius of it is that Everybody gets it. Everybody that's young on the internet gets what was happening. And the Fed and the Treasury and the policymakers, they literally can't, they're in a lose lose situation. If they respond to the laser eyes, they've legitimized it, right? Like, how can you imagine if Janet Yellen responded to the laser eyes? It's like, you can't respond to the laser eyes. You can't make up your own, like, meme thing to do to your profile picture because you're supposed to be this hoity toity, you know, we, we run the financial system. So, if they respond to it, they legitimize it, and that's a lose. If they do nothing, they also lose because everybody else gets the joke. Everybody under 30 gets the joke. And everybody under 30, who are they going to want to roll with, right? They're going to want to roll with the internet native money. So it's just the community of crypto is just – this is, is such a great example. That, yeah. The crypto community is – you got if you are ranking – People who get internet culture, memes, yeah, spreading totally. messages, having a laugh about everything. But also this part just showed like when people needed to organize and get something done, the people did that as well. Um, obviously there's, you know, there's negative parts to it like anything else as well. But it's, it's a really interesting evolving world, man. Like just to see people that quickly got ready to be like, all right, I'm going to call my center. I'm going to do this. I'm going to spread the message. Totally. So uh, I think there's going to be a time when, you know, whether that's the next election or 10 years from now, where this is just a huge segment of people that disproportionately are going to have influence in a way because the amount of money that is transferred, like a lot of people don't realize how much wealth has been generated right. with random people that you don't even know who they are. You just totally. meet them in the street and they just look like normal people, but they bought Ethereum in 2016 and Bitcoin in 2012. And they bought Board Ape Yacht Club when they watched episode one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that that is a, a group of people that will punch above their weight in a way, you know? And if you want to yeah. taste of whether or not that can happen, just remember, like, Donald Trump is essentially a meme president. Like, <laughs> no, like, yeah, legitimately, sure. right? Yeah, He's an insurgent, complete outside this is not me speaking to whether or not I agree with his politics. How he got into office was the internet, right? It was the mechanisms of the internet that in large part got him into office. And just everything was a fucking joke and like 4chan was boosting him. Everybody was kind of into this joke and like, like there's a lot of reasons as to why he became president, but we can't dismiss the fact that, you know, the, the course, internet culture is a big part of it. Part. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, even I mean, before it, him, Obama as well, I'll say. Yeah, right. everything in a is different a meme. Way. Everything is a meme, just some are shit. Yeah. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's the quote of the, the episode so far. <laughs> so, uh, 
No, the last thing I wanted to add to your point, Bilal, was uh, oh, I mean, you guys have brought this up in the past. Balaji says if Bitcoin hits like 300,000 or something, half the world's billionaires will be Bitcoin billionaires or something insane like that, right? Great. Four plus the list. All Bitcoin. Yeah, absurd. It's absurd. Basement dwellers. That's, that steak is hitting Jack now. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> steak and why don't a few we, other why things. Don't we, we walked up back up as well. We did a, like a four. Oh, you walked walk all the way to... No yeah, way, yeah, sorry. Yeah. We were downtown and he walked all the way to Central Park. That's mental. Had to do That's, it. Had to do it. Why don't we do this? Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up with this last thing, which is gold. Chris Dixon. Let's do well, it. Well, actually, can we just mention one thing as well? There's the Axie Infinity thing really quickly. Oh, yeah. This is well, like a well, one-liner, basically. Want to show your tweet? Uh, yeah, what was the tweet I put out? It was Axie Infinity, which we need to do a whole episode on this as well with someone who knows the ins and outs of this. Actually, Packy, who was on the show, Not Boring, um, that's his name of his newsletter. He actually did a great breakdown of this. Um, but essentially, I don't know, Jack, if or either of you have got a better way to describe this, but from the limit I know, it's basically like a Pokemon like on the blockchain, or like this. it's basically a game that you can earn by playing. And long story short, it's been growing like absolute crazy. And uh, they just hit a 1 billion in sales. I wrote revenue here, but essentially gross sales on the platform. And in a crazy amount of time, in Packy's piece, he predicted that would be like by the end of the year. And this already happened. Uh, that's what someone responded to my tweet about. And 20% of that was in the last week uh, when I tweeted this. The August CEO 9th. of the company, his name is Trung, by the way. He's Vietnamese. Really? All oh, right. That must yeah, be so- it. A big part Magic of Axie Infinity is uh, because they're allowing basically people to quote unquote farm in these digital worlds and make money. A lot of Vietnamese and Filipino players, I think 60% of the players are from the Philippines actually, uh, which is why we need to really deep dive on this. You know what? I'm, I'm literally just going to regurgitate Packy's entire thing. I'll just read it and regurgitate it. <laughs> yeah. We don't want well, to waste it. I've heard a few people message me in a few of these like crypto groups I'm in and they've said that they know people who are essentially hired people abroad to be playing these games and they get a cut and uh, scholarships or something they're called yeah 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 exactly so anyway we need to do a full deep dive but that's another world um but yeah let's let's move on to the last part which is chris dixon's thread trunk did you want to take yeah, it away I'll, with this I'll one i'll talk through it and uh, actually infinity was actually great segue too because i'm going to mention it uh very shortly but chris dixon actually wanted to make a comparison between web 2.0 and web 3.0. And then web 2.0, we can consider that world like Facebook, Twitter, Google, Amazon, everything in the last two decades, right? Social and mobile, right? Social social mobile, social mobile, that type of world. And the big players are all the ones I mentioned. And uh, the the way Chris Dixon framed it is this. He actually used Amazon as this frame. Uh, He said that... uh, so Jeff Bezos famously said that uh, your margin is my opportunity. So before the internet, if you were a grocery store and you had f- uh, pretty decent margins on, say, a banana, just because you were the only grocery store or, or books, right? If you're a bookstore, you had good margins on your books because you were the only bookstore within 100 miles of a small town and you could charge people more. And I get it. You're a small bookstore. You might have to just to pay. But for Bezos, he's like, that's an opportunity for me. And he went in, obviously started with books, but any other business line that had a little bit of margin, he's like, I'm going to figure a way to make my margin even smaller. And basically uh, I'll compete you. So Chris Dixon says that the shift from web two to web three 
And Jack, would you say that Web3 is very much kind of this NF, uh, kind of crypto creator economy? Like, How would you define Web3? Great question. I need to think about a more succinct version, but I think the idea of this like participatory uh, through the idea of like economic infrastructure instead of social infrastructure. So like you can own things, you have a relationship to like you have an ownership stake in something rather than you're a user, right? Owner versus user, maybe at a really high level is how I would think yeah. about it. Okay, no, that's perfect then. So as you shift into this kind of creator crypto owner over user economy, uh, Chris Dixon said that the similar uh, framework would uh, to think about is your margin is my opportunity turns into your take rate is my opportunity. So the way he frames it is this. Uh, he talks about the video game industry and he says the video game industry does 120 billion a year. A large portion of that is in virtual goods sales, right? So if you're buying virtual goods in Fortnite, if you're buying it in an EA game, like what are some really popular, or like in Call of Duty or any of these uh, games that, that right? yeah, World of Warcraft, uh, if you are spending money on these platforms, those game makers are taking 100% of revenue, right? So their take rate is 100%. So if you're calling that the equivalent, if you're calling take rate the equivalent of margin, if a business had a hundred percent margin, Jeff Bezos is going to figure out a way to make money from them. Right. If, Jeff, if you have 0.1% margin, Bezos is going to figure out how to make money. <laughs> so, uh, so basically in web three, any platform that uh, this even applies to like, frankly, even like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, right? Like these guys are capturing most of the value of the creation that's happening on it. So that's their take rate. And it's very high in web three. If you have a high take rate, you are susceptible. And this is where Axe Infinity comes in. This is, I'll share the screenshot of his exact tweet. He goes, you guys see what I'm, yeah. So Web3, AKA crypto games, reduced the take weight dramatically. For example, Axe Infinity has generated over 1 billion in gross sales, but most of that money has gone back to users. So the, uh, I think uh, he's a C COO of uh, Axe Infinity, uh, Tejio. He basically said that traditional games take 100% uh, of the take rate on digital goods. He says Axie only takes 4.25%. But I mean, 4.25% of a billion is still a good business, right? Especially if all that happened in the last couple of weeks. So he's basically saying this is going to happen to like all in social. Here he goes. Social, social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok have take rates 100%. They don't share any revenue at all creators. This is great for them, but bad for users. So take rates are going to be coming down. And we're seeing it now with a lot of the creator stuff that we've talked in the past couple of weeks, right? So I just found that that thread was super interesting. And uh, I love the framework of uh, the Bezos framework. Genius. Yeah. And um, Trang, one other thing. Again, I don't know a, a more succinct definition that you guys talked about. Um, but I think a big part of Web3 from what I read is just decentralized nature of a lot of the new alternatives right. being created and back to that example we discussed earlier around you know just a peer-to-peer -peer lending right previously there's a middleman that you know i want to get a loan i go to the bank and they use money from other people's money that's deposited they charge me interest and they keep the majority of that right so now when you when you take that middleman out of the the picture and it's essentially code or a small team with a bunch of leverage code 
now that same 6% or whatever can be passed around more. And that's the equivalent of what you discussed there around the margin for Jeff Bezos and the take rate. Because um, on traditional platforms, there's a take rate. And now if there is more of that pie to go around, like as Jack mentioned, the ownership versus just being a participant, um, that I think is kind of where it comes from, right? Like that's why there's even a, a place there's even a logic behind being able to pass that around a bit more. Um, so yeah, it's, I think the gaming example you gave there is also really interesting because they get a lot of this stuff natively because they've been building these worlds already for years. Right. Right. And yeah. it's, they, they've been selling virtual goods. They've had to figure out, um, they've had to figure out the problem of currency and change of uh, currency exchange rates within their games already because they're so, building an economy essentially exactly exactly so yeah really interesting from chris dixon you know, man. It, like i'm sure chris dixon will have a very smart response to this it's like they're almost like a different type of monopoly you know in a, in a weird way like open sea is another good example of a company that's making 2.5 percent on every transaction where i don't know an ebay or an etsy is probably charging you a lot more than that um but everybody's going to use the one that's doing the best, if that makes sense. So you still like the network effect created by the platform is also like a huge part of the uh, value to the user. It just becomes like, what do we settle on as a, what, like, what are we happy to pay for that network effect? And like 4% is a freaking bargain. Right. Two and a half percent is a freaking bargain. And like, I think, YouTube, I don't know what that pays creators, but you might have a better idea I than me. I think it's fifty-five percent of the ad revenue. Of ad revenue, I think yeah, so. Unless yeah. they changed it, yeah. So, like, to build a crypto alternative to YouTube to get that level of network effect, maybe I'm drastically underestimating, uh, like the speed at which it moves. But it feels like it'd be just an enormous undertaking. So, like these things that are brand new, like selling art on an NFT marketplace, it's a brand new thing. Axie Infinity is a brand new paradigm for playing games. Um, the crypto, like BitClout, is maybe a better comparison to Twitter. Like, where does the when does the scale tip? What do you have to give users to get them from uh, a Twitter to a BitClout? Because the network right. effect on Twitter is a hundred x what it what it is on BitClout, and the behavior on BitClout is like is like going into a, like a spice market or something. It's people just like, <laughs> buy my thing, buy my thing, sell that, sell that, buy my thing. It's not, it doesn't have the same. Uh, Are you still dabbling? I, uh, I haven't been back on it for a while. I just got a little, a little tired of the, like, like I said. I love like your spice market sell. Yeah. <laughs> Talking to Morocco earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. That must've been what planted it, yeah. Actually, man, listen. I feel if you haven't had a good, I think we got a call from Jack here, man. I've been there, brother. (laughs) Yeah, it's all good, man. Long day, mate. Long day. day. We we got to do it, man. Trust me. 97 degrees in in New York today, isn't it, Bilal? Yeah, it's crazy. It probably feels like 105 or something. Bro, I know the look, man. I've been there enough (laughs) that I know the look. And we got to call this. But I know, for real, I think that was really good. I think we covered a ton of ground there. Yeah, really good. But good yeah, luck. listen, uh, anything else before we wrap up, boys? I think I think that was solid. We talked about a lot of infrastructure stuff, Chris Dixon. Let's do um let's definitely try the Axie Infinity deep dive at some point and the philanthropy one. We've already written out a bunch of stuff we wanted to chat about. 
We should well. all play. We should all play Axie Infinity for an hour That's or something. True. That's Live true. stream That's Twitch. I wonder who's yeah. who's the Axie Infinity Twitch streamer. I wonder who's That's doing that. That's a good that. show. We should do a live, not investment advice. We'll talk about it while we're playing it. If we can figure out how to freaking <laughs> log into it. Yeah, I know. Um, all right, and everyone. There, well, there's thanks. a bit of a hurdle, right? There's a bit of a hurdle. Yeah, it's not oh, yeah. just like a... It's which, not which is, incre again, incredible that it's doing what it's done with the friction that exists. All of this yeah, stuff is mind-blowing. OpenSea, like, how the hell are they doing that kind of volume when it's like, you need to be pretty proficient to like move assets around, set up your wallet, store your stuff. Right. Even just understanding the jargon, man. Like yeah. I was on OpenSea because I had a few NFTs and I'm like, what, how do I, do I have to list this? Does it, or is it automatically listed? I didn't really even know. It's not like super intuitive straight out the box. Bro, uh, just go question... buy some more sushi swap, man. Just go buy <laughs> some more sushi swap. We have to do down. Roblox Probably. as well. I don't know how much you boys know about Roblox, but apparently that's mad. Does yours, Maybe you... we get oh, Mario yeah. on. It's out of control. $50 billion company, 2X already since it's gone public. Yeah, oh, crazy. It's like really sophisticated organizations of like seven and eight-year-olds inside Roblox apparently. <laughs> they're way, they're way, they're the way next presidents are coming out of there, man. Um, yeah, 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 no doubt. Um, one last question for Trung, because Trung, you famously or infamously bought ETH and Bitcoin, I think, on the show, or maybe you finished it off, 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 uh, offline. It was a week after. I think it's uh, now. And dude, we, I bought we it at thirty, man. I bought it through thirty on Bitcoin and two thousand on ETH. Is hilarious. But there I mean, you like, go, man. You up fifty percent? But Jackson, how's that 50, feel? Fifty times. <laughs> <laughs> it feels pretty good, though, no. No, I, mean, I think it's I think it's based on everything we talked about. I'm just looking around and I'm like, this is unacceptable. These returns are unacceptable. Rock JPEGs being sold. Yeah, literally fifty percent in ten weeks. I'm like, this is pathetic. This is pathetic. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm make gonna it. Give my kids education. Oh, That's it, man. Retirement money. All right. Anyway, let's wrap it up. But yeah, again, big up to our friend Capson 100 with the best review. Um, and as always, see if this top is, that. if anyone, yeah, let's see if anyone wants to be featured again on the show, we'll read more <laughs> of these out. So go on to Apple Podcasts, write a little review for us, and we'll read out some of the funny ones if anyone bothers to do it. And uh, yeah, as always, join the Telegram group as well. We're, we're sharing a lot of really fun stuff. You know, we normally cover like three to five things every uh, episode, but we share like 15 or 20 things yeah. a week in there, plus a bunch of funny memes and and a picture of steak so join us there as well and as always this is not investment advice and we'll see you next week yeah awesome Peace thank out. you everyone bye bye